Good morning, friends. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Valleytown Church. It's good to see you guys. Uh, thank you for braving the weather. Hopefully you have had a happy new year. I was out last week, but I'm glad to be back. I had some time with my family. And uh, we are actually going to be doing kind of almost a one-off sermon. It's been so long since we've realized even we've been in the book of Colossians. But we're closing a series that we started months back. And actually, we even did like a series within a series where we did that living together series. It was like an inception in sermon series. It was craziness. But uh, that, that whole living together series was actually pulled from the structure and the outline of Colossians 3 and the first verse of chapter 4. So we're just going to kind of close it off, and it's, it's relevant. I feel like it's kind of timely with, you know, the new year and everything that typically we're thinking about at this time. And, uh, and this is written by Paul to uh, the church of Colossae, and we're going to be bouncing back and forth between this and the book of Ephesians, so you can follow along if you'd like. We're in Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll kind of do some like jump backs and take a look at it, dig it out a little bit there. So it says in Colossians 4 to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. So he's actually writing this letter in jail. All right, so he's a good guy, though. Don't worry. Uh, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So the, the first thing Paul said there was to continue steadfastly in prayer. So steadfastness is describing a, a persistence, right, that we are persevering in our prayer, right, that we're not just kind of giving up when, you know, we feel like we got a no answer once that, you know, oh, I'm never going to pray again, that we continue at it. We don't slack when it comes to our prayer. Jesus, when he talked about prayer, he described it as, as asking a question or, or seeking for something that you've lost or, or knocking on a door. And he said that we need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you'll have the answer. You'll, you'll find the thing you're looking for, and the door will be open to you. So it's a, a continual kind of action that needs to take place when it, has, uh, when it comes to our prayer. The next thing that Paul says is that we are to be watchful, in prayer. And this is something that I actually want to take some time to study out of the Bible more in my own time, but the Bible always is kind of referring to prayer as being watchful, and it's literally talking about the idea of, of a watchman on, on guard for a city that's kind of up in the tower or on the wall and just is on alert, right? And that's the way that we're supposed to pray is, is being watchful in our prayer. Not that we're praying out of fear of things not working right or out of worry, but we're praying in preparedness against the potential attacks of, of an enemy. And the Bible actually describes that our enemy, it says he is like a lion that is, is roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. All right, so we do need to be, be watchful in our prayers. And, and we have an enemy that we see that his tact, his strategy, is that he, he tempts us at opportune times. Right, so he'll wait until we are kind of off guard or not aware or not you know, cautious of our own temptation, and that's when he'll, he'll take those times to kind of strike. So we are to be prayerfully alert regarding 
of, of the areas that we are often tempted, right? We all have different weaknesses, and, and we should be on guard with those things in prayer. So it's something that we can be actively praying about, seeking God's strength. And in fact, this is one of the things that Paul says in the book of Ephesians. You don't need to turn there. Stay in Colossians if you'd like. And, and he says, This is why I pray, that according to the riches of, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being. All right, so a cool thing here is that we actually gain strength through prayer. We can pray for God's strength to sustain us. We can pray for his grace to equip us for the works that we are called to do, right? And it, it, it is an actual effect, so much so that, that Paul, he says, listen, I pray for you because I know this has an effect. And the cool thing is that, that God's spirit, all right, God is a, a three-part being. It's referred to as the Trinity, Right? He's a three-person entity. He's got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this is, His Holy Spirit is the one that is giving us strength. The Holy Spirit is the active part on the earth right now. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one that is, is giving us direction, that leads us into all truth. And it is His Holy Spirit that can give us strength. So the, the Holy Spirit is God. It's not some vague energy or en- entity. It is, it is the Spirit of God being in us, empowering us. And it says that he will strengthen our inner being. And just like God is a three-part being, we too are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and emotions, and, and we live in a body, right? Our body is clearly temporary, right? But our spirit life, we keep going on. And, and that's where God will strengthen us, is in our spirit. So this is a cool thing that we can do, that our prayers can be effective that they can result in strengthening us in the areas that we need. And this is one of the reasons that Paul said, this is why I pray, because this works. And this is why he prays for the people that he was writing to. He also said to pray with thanksgiving. So prayer is not just about asking God for things, right? He's not a vending machine where we're just trying to push the right buttons to get what we want out of him. We should go to God with thanksgiving. Right, that we can be thankful for not just the prayers that he has answered, but even for the salvation that he's given us, right? The life that he's given us and the healing that he gives us, right? So we should be going to God with thanksgiving. Now, Paul goes on, he says, Pray also for us. Paul desired the prayer of the churches for him and his, his fellow missionaries that were going about telling people about Jesus, that were going from, from city to city. And right at, at this point, he's clearly even been arrested, right? Christ, Christians were, were getting killed for declaring the gospel, and, and he, he asks for their prayers. And one of the things he asks for is that, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So one of the things that we can pray for is opportunity, right? That, that we can pray that God will open up the right moments, the right times, where, where he can bring the people across our paths that we can speak the word in season to them, right? Where we can speak exactly what, what God needs to say, to bring the truth to their lives, in, to their lives in, in the moment that they need it, right? That we can pray for those, those opportunities, right? And, and so that's one of the things that, that we should do. And, and it was so that he could declare the word to them, right? So we can pray for that as well. And he says that he could declare the mystery of Christ. So when you hear the word mystery, don't think Scooby-Doo or Sherlock. Mystery here is, is like a secret that has been revealed. All right, he's talking about that Jesus, right, he came down and he revealed the heart of the Father, right? Something that has 
yet to be known up to that point about God, an attribute of his character, has been revealed further in Jesus, right? That God revealed more of his plan, and now Paul is saying, listen, I want to be able to declare this mystery. I want to tell the world about this secret, this new thing that God has done in offering salvation to all of us, right? So Paul wants to be able to, to make God known, and he, pr- he asks for prayers to help that happen. So one of the things we should do is start praying for specific people in our lives, right? Pray for people that are in our community, people that, are, that cross our paths, people that we work with, right? I mean, one of the things you can do is set a reminder on your phone that it'll blip at you every couple of days to pray for a particular person, right? You can do that. It, it's a great idea, right? Or just write it on your calendar if you're, if you're old school. And, and one of the things you can do is, is have a prayer journal, right? And I'm not one for, like, actually, like, handwriting things out, and I'm more of a tech guy, so I've, I've got a Google blog that I started that's private, it's unlisted, but I can just, like, as God reveals his word to me, I can just write things down there, or I can write down the things I'm praying about, and then I can go back to that and return it back to him in thanksgiving, like we were talking about, when he answers those prayers, right? So it's just kind of, it tracks the things that God has been doing in my heart, so that's something that you also can do. Then Paul says, he says, pray that I might make it, that being the mystery of Christ, clear, which is how I ought to speak. So he, he asks that you would pray that his words would be intelligible, right? That he would be able to explain the gospel, the good news that Jesus came down and died for us, receiving the punishment that we deserved on himself, that we could be forgiven, right? So the Bible's not supposed to be super complicated, Right? He says, this is how it ought to be. It, it should be clear. It should be understandable. And pray that he's able to present it that way. Right? So the gospel ought to be clearly explained. He says this in Ephesians 6, the other book that kind of mirrors the way he's closing this letter here. And he says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this is a cool thing. This is something that I've, I've prayed for, but I didn't realize it was as biblical as this, that we can pray for the actual words we speak, right? We can pray that God inspires us and speaks through us. And that's one of the things that Paul wanted the churches to pray for him, right? Because that, that, right? so often we encounter a situation and someone's talking to us and asking us a question. We're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, right? And that's, that's normal, right? But we can pray that God would speak through us. We could pray that he gives us the very words to say, the words in due season. And it, it's cool that, that we can trust in God to do that. Jesus actually said that the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance the things that God said, right? That the Holy Spirit, right, even though you might read the Bible and you, know, you might not remember much of what you just read, but God can bring that up to your remembrance when the time is right. So it's important to get that word in us And that's one of the cool things we can pray, that God will give us those words at the right time. And he says that he might proclaim it boldly, right? That's his desire. That's the way the gospel ought to be presented, right? We shouldn't be embarrassed about who Jesus is. We shouldn't be afraid of someone's opinion of of Jesus because they might be offended at what Jesus has to say, and that's okay. But we need to proclaim it, it boldly. Right? Because this is good news. That's literally what the gospel means. It's good news. And, and Paul wanted to just be able to present it to everybody because it's the best news that mankind has ever heard. 
right? This is amazing news. So we need to declare it boldly. And, and this is one of the things that's cool. This reveals an aspect of Paul is that he wasn't always bold, right? I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I'm kind of like, oh, how am I going to talk to them about Jesus, right? And, and we're all that way. But we can pray for that boldness, right? We can pray for that boldness. That's what we see the apostles do in Acts chapter 5, where they get threatened and they get beaten for preaching in Jesus' name, and they go back to their friends, and they pray for boldness, and God grants them that boldness. So that's one of the things that we can pray for, not just for ourselves, but one another. And one of the cool things about, about Jesus, the way he spoke, one of the, the things that people noticed about him when he preached was that he preached with authority, right? They said, you're not like the other religious leaders of our day, right? You speak this as though it's true, and as though you have the authority to speak it. And that's one of the cool things about the Bible is that the Bible is timeless. The Bible is relevant to all times and all cultures. And it is true, right? Jesus said that, that heaven and earth will pass away long before the word of God ever does, right? And it's still here today, over 2,000 years later, and it's still true. And that's why I get to preach this as though it's true because it is, right? I didn't just like... I guess i got to make up a sermon, like, what's a good idea that I can tell people, right? Like, I'm preaching the truth of God. It's not my own words. It's, these weren't Paul's own words. It was God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. One of the things to think about is that, that I would ask of you is, is Paul had experience. Paul had already been planting churches for a number of years, right? Paul had, even before he was a Christian, he had all sorts of training. He went through rigorous schools, trained by the rabbis, in, in understanding and memorizing the Old Testament, right? And, and Paul, someone with all of that experience and knowledge, he still asked for the prayers of the churches. So guys, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm like a rookie pastor. I need your prayers. If Paul needed prayer, I need your prayers. So like, I, I haven't even been a pastor for a year now, and I need you to pray for me. So this is something that I would ask you to do. So pray that I would continue to grow as a pastor, that I could shepherd this church well, that God would continue to lead my heart, that I would keep my heart humble before the Lord, right? That there'd be no issues of pride in my life because I don't want to just have this fall apart. I don't want to fail you guys and I don't want to fail the Lord. So pray for me. Pray that I gain direction and wisdom from him to accomplish his will. Pray that I'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit because I need that. Pray that he'll give me the words to speak, because I don't want it to be my own ideas and my own thoughts. I want to proclaim the truth of God as the truth of God, and I want to let that truth affect my heart first before I present it to you, right? I want to be, be able to practice what, what I preach, and I want to be able to explain it well, right? That's what Paul said, that he would have the very words to say, that he'd be able to explain it clearly, so pray that I'll be able to do that because I don't want it to be veiled merely because of my lack of vocabulary, right? Or my failure of compiling a sentence, right? I, I want to be able to explain it well so that people can know who the real Jesus is and experience his life and forgiveness. So, and this was a, a big one. Pray that I don't offend people, all right? Pray that people can get past me to hear the truth of Jesus and then get offended by him probably, all right? But I don't want to be the one to offend them, right? I don't want my own life or my own words or my own quirks to be the thing that turns people off to who Jesus is. I don't want to represent him in the wrong way. I don't want to paint a picture of, of who Jesus isn't, and then they think that is who he is, 
right? So, so pray that I don't offend people because I don't want to be a stumbling block between them and Christ. The next thing Paul says is that we should walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So walk in this passage literally means live. Live your life in wisdom, all right? And that's actually how some of the other Bible translations actually translate it. So think about your walk as, as your overall path that you've led, right? Your overall life journey that you've been on is the way you walk. And the way Paul's saying we should walk is walk in wisdom, right? And even though we often have this desired goal, this desired outcome, right, a destination in mind, the problem is that we often, right, get off path, right? We get distracted, right? Even those of us who maybe have set New Year's resolutions by the end of the month, many will have already fallen off those goals, right? So we need to, to walk in wisdom. Whoa, here we go, right? So, so the problem is that we, we decide on an objective, but then we, we don't always follow through because we get distracted along the way. Ephesians 5, talking about wisdom, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise or fools, but, but as wise. And the look carefully in the King James Version, it says circumspectly, right? Walk circumspectly. Circum meaning like a circle, like around, and spectacle like looking, right? So look around as you walk. Be aware of where your life's decisions are leading you. Right? Because so often, just like hiking in the woods, you might just be looking down at your feet and avoiding stumps and rocks, and you're looking down so much you miss the trailblazes. You miss the intersection on the path. Right? And we get distracted along the way, so it's important that we're, we're aware of where our life's choices are leading us. Right? Because so often we just get caught in a routine where we're doing the same thing, and we're not thinking about the end result of all of those decisions. So we need to, to walk being aware. <coughs> And he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And, and what he means by outsiders there, he's not talking about people who are, you know, part of Valley Town Church and those who aren't, all right? He's not talking about that. He's not talking about people who believe a certain religion and those who don't. He's talking about those who have been adopted into God's family, right? Who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't, all right? And, and so I, I don't want to, I guess, coddle you if, if you're not yet at that point because we have these gatherings for you. All right, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And it's not just about being a part of the club. That's not what the Bible's referring to, right? And I don't want to just kind of like glaze over this and be like, nah, there's really no difference because there's a huge difference, all right? And it's not about us. It's not about us having done something. It's not about, right, any of us deserving heaven because, in fact, we deserve the opposite, right? I, I'm, I'm a sinner like all of us. We all need a Savior, and even a life, if I dedicate the rest of my life to God, that doesn't somehow earn me heaven, right? Because I could never repay what God has given freely. So the difference between the insider-outsider is, is Jesus, all right? And that's all of the difference. That's everything. And like I said, it's not that we are better because we're not. It's just that we happen to have it better off, both on this earth and the one to come, because of what Jesus has done, right? And he offers it freely to all of us. It's not something that that any of us have earned. And this verse is actually correcting Christians who are living foolishly in this world. Christians who are just living their lives as though it didn't matter, right? Because if you, if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been annoyed at the fact that so many people who claim to follow Jesus are, are hypocritical in the way they live, right? The life that they profess contradicts the one that they're living, 
And, and that's what Paul is actually correcting here, and, and that's what, right, the same way we get annoyed at hypocrisy, God gets annoyed at hypocrisy. And even though there's forgiveness, right, even though there's grace when we fail, it's still something to consider that we walk wisely with those who don't believe because of how we represent Jesus to them, right? That they end up getting a false picture of who he is. And elsewhere in the Bible, talking about the way we live our lives in this world and amongst those who don't yet believe, it says that we should lead a quiet life to work hard and to behave properly, that we should not cause anyone to stumble, that we should live so that people who try to put you to shame that they have nothing to say about you, right? That you give them nothing to, to critique. That we keep our conduct honorable. So think about the way we live our lives amongst this world. Are we actually being the light of this world and the salt of this earth? The next thing that Paul says, he says to make the best use of the time. And this, this is huge. Like, I, I'm so excited about preaching this part because the danger is that our lives have the appearance of effectiveness, right? That we have just a busy schedule. We're doing a lot, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're accomplishing what we're supposed to, all right? That we have a perceived productivity, but we're not accomplishing anything of true value. Paul referred to people who didn't work hard as, as busybodies, and often that's how we can be, maybe not in terms of work, but in, in how we live our lives. We're, we're busy, our bodies are doing things, but we're not accomplishing anything that is of eternal outcome, right? That, that, that nothing of, of real value is, is being accomplished. And it's possible to live our lives in such a way that we are actually fruitless in all of our efforts. So it's something that we need to consider. And in our current culture, there are so many things that are designed as distractions for us, all right? And I'm not against entertainment. All right, because God has given us a Sabbath day to rest, right? God has given us this, and it's a good thing. He doesn't want us just working like crazy and feeling this weight and responsibility of the mission he's given us. He, he wants us to rest in him to accomplish it. But, but think about this. The, the average Facebook user is using it for 40 minutes a day. All right, that's the average as of 2014, which is 4.2% of our awake lives. All right, or, or think about Netflix, right, that that it's binge-watching on Netflix because old episodes and old seasons of other TV shows become available, right? Like Friends, 10 seasons of Friends just became available on Netflix, and that's 84 hours of our lives, right? 84 hours of our lives can be eaten up by that, right? That, that's crazy. And the average Netflix account is used for one and a half hours per day. And even if you're not always the one in the room watching it, say you're only there half the time, there goes another 4.7% of your awake life that we're just like, kind of like letting disintegrate into reality and just, there it goes, right? And, and let's see, here's one, or how about video games, right? There's, there's a thing I like to do, right? Video games are distracting, or sports, or YouTube. Maybe you're just spending a lot of time watching cat videos, and that's not accomplishing what Jesus has brought, you know, left you here to do, right? That's, they're, they're kind of funny, though, but, but nonetheless, that's not what we're meant to do. And let's see, I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, a time-lapse video, right, where where something that takes a, a long time to occur, maybe they'll take months of footage and compile it down into like three minutes so you can see how like trees grow or plants grow in high speed sort of thing. What if I was able to tell the sound booth, be like, oh, Joshua, can you turn on the video of the last year of, of your life and put it on the screen and we'll watch it in three minutes? 
right? How would you feel if we got to watch the last year of your life all condensed down into three minutes where you'd be watching and you'd be like, I know time is moving way fast in this video, but I'm still on the couch. <laughs> I am still, what am I doing? Like, oh my goodness, like just we'd be embarrassed at the amount of time we spend in one spot, right? We'd be, oh my, oh, right, that, that'd be real, don't worry, we don't have the technology, we haven't been videotaping you for over a year, we don't do that. But, uh, but right, that, w- that would be embarrassing to us in the way that we, we spend our time, the way we spend our lives. I- it's important that we get this bigger picture about what are we doing with our time, right? What are we doing with our lives? And Jesus, he told parables. Parables are, are stories that, that were made up, but they tell a point. They, they tell a true point, even though the story itself is not true. And, and this is what he said in Luke chapter 13. I don't have it on the screen, so just listen. And he says, and he told this parable, a man had, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, all right? And he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser responds to him, and he says, sir, let it alone this one year also until I dig around it and and put on manure, and then if it should bear fruit, then well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So a tree that's producing no fruit, it's still occupying space, right? It's still absorbing nutrients from the soil. It's still doing all this work, photosynthesizing energy from the sun, right? It's occupying time from this vine dresser to come and prune every year, right? And it's still not doing anything of value. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It, it's not accomplishing what it's supposed to do, right? It still is being a tree. It's being a tree every day. It's been a tree all three years of its life, but it's not accomplishing what it was designed to do, to benefit those around it. And one of the things that it portrays about God here is, one, that there is eventual, eventually a, a time of, of judgment, of, listen, did you accomplish what you were sent to do, right? And that there's this time of judgment where you know, the testing day comes and it's like, listen, it gets cut down. But it also portrays another character aspect of God in that he's gracious, right? He extends that time of judgment. Let's give it one more year, right? Let's see what that person can do. Let's invest into their life and see what comes out of them or if they only ever are inwardly seeking, right? And, and I'm not even saying that a person in this category is necessarily going to hell because you can believe in Jesus, you can be forgiven, and you can spend your life not doing anything of importance. And you could still go to heaven, all right? Th- that can still happen. But the problem is that once you're in heaven, you have nothing to show for the life that you lived, right? You didn't add any benefit to the world that you lived in. You didn't introduce other people to the God that loved them, right? So it's important that we are, are fruitful in our lives. And it's likely that what we consider success may not line up with what God calls success. So it's important that we get his perspective on our lives, not our own measurement of, well, you know, I was really well informed in my life, like I watched the news and read the newspaper, right? Like, that's not necessarily how God's measuring success, right? Or whatever. It, one, of the, one of the things to think about is, is as our designer, right, as an engineer, he has made each of us for a particular p- purpose, Right? And, and oftentimes, we might find some form of functionality in our lives that we might be good at, but it might not fulfill what the original design intent was. And that kind of dishonors the designer 
if we do that, right? For instance, what if, what if you went over to someone's house and they just spent thousands and thousands of dollars and bought a Ferrari? And they're like, I just bought this thing. This is really cool. And I, I think I figured out how to use it finally. What I do is I get my mail from the mailbox, my bills and stuff, and I put it in the driveway. And if I push the car on top of it, it's a great paperweight. Like, the, the mail never blows away. This is amazing. Like, this is the best money I've ever spent, right? And, and that car is meant for a much greater purpose than being a paperweight, right? Or, or think about this, like, oh, I just got an iPad for Christmas, maybe, and I figured out how to use it. Like, I went online, I watched some videos, and the, these things are great Frisbees, right? Like, you're missing out for the intended purpose. And oftentimes, we live our lives that way, where we, we find something that we think we're good at, or we, we fill our lives with something that we enjoy, but it's not necessarily what God intended for us, what God has designed for us to do. So there's two ways that, that we can fail when it comes to spending our time wisely. One is, is that we can end up doing a lot of things that God never called us to do, right? That we can occupy our schedules, we can fill our lives with things that he never gave us strength for, he never graced us for, that he never intended us to be doing, right? And then we have this appearance of busyness. So one of the things we'll have to do is, is stop doing those things, right? We might have to start saying no to people when it comes to guarding our schedules and doing the things that God has actually called us to do, right? And that, that might offend people sometimes, but that's, that's okay. We'd rather af- offend them than, than God, right? Or the other area we can fail is, is that we don't do the things that God intended us to do, right? That, that sometimes because of our busyness, we've now sapped all of our energy, or our time, all right, or, or our resources that were intended for a work of God, and now we've spent it elsewhere, and we don't have the strength to accomplish what he's called us to do. So it's important that we do what God has called us to do, and make the best use of our time. And I want to point out that, that earlier in this passage, Paul was talking about prayer, Right? Paul was referring to prayer, and, and he wasn't throwing us a curveball. It wasn't a trick like, hey, you should pray and then make the best use of your time. He wasn't being like, I got you, prayer is a waste of time. No, because prayer is a good use of our time. All right? Prayer may appear that nothing is getting done. Right? That per- oh, that person's just like talking to God. Right? What? I don't understand. They're not doing anything. Right? We might feel like our lives are so busy that we can't pray. But in reality, through prayer, we can do more than we could ever accomplish in our own strength, right? That, that God can open doors that we never could. God can bring about opportunities and situations that in all of our effort, pursuing those things, we would fail if we tried to do it on our own. So prayer is not a waste of time. And an interesting thing is that Jesus himself, right? God on earth, who you'd think had everything figured out, right? Because he did. He spent time in prayer, where he'd, he'd either wake up early, he'd stay up late, he'd remove himself from the crowds, and he'd, he'd find opportunity to go and pray. And he had less to pray about than you or I do, because when I pray, I'm usually like, God, I'm sorry, like, I repent of the sin, right? Jesus didn't have to repent of any sin, right? Like, he, he had less to pray about than we did, and he was still finding time to pray. And one of the cool things is that throughout the Gospels, Jesus says that, that he spoke the words that the, the Father told him to say, and that he did the things that the Father showed him to do, right? So Jesus optimized his life. He lived his life in a way where he was accomplishing specifically the tasks that God had informed him to do. And although some of those things would have been revealed to him in the moment by the Holy Spirit, other things I'm pretty sure happened during his prayer life, right? I'm pretty sure happened when he was spending time like, God, what's the agenda today? What are we doing? 
right? What's the plan? And we even see that in John chapter 11 when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead and he says, God, I know you've already heard me in this. And then like he goes and raises him from the dead, right? He's already prayed about it. He already knew it was what he was going to do. So we need to seek God each day regarding the direction of our lives, right? Think about it like this. What if you were to fly to a new city, right? You've never been there and you're going to a conference. You get your rental car and you know the destination. You know the address of the the conference that you're going to, and you get in your car and like, okay, I'm just going to like drive up to an intersection and then just kind of like, if I feel like one direction is good, I'm just going to, I'm going to turn that way or I'll turn this way. And, and eventually I hope to get there. Like I know where I want to go and I'm just going to do this thing, right? When in reality, what you need to do is with that address, plug it into the GPS where you get those kind of step-by-step directions. And that's like what we need to do with God and his word and prayer where he wants to direct our paths, right? He wants to guide our lives. And, and if we're not doing that, we're just making our best guess, even though we might have the right destination in mind, even though we might have the right goals for our lives. If you're not seeking God, you're just randomly taking a bunch of turns. Ephesians 5, Paul says it this way. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we are to use this time for good, right? God didn't leave us on this earth so we could just kind of like enjoy ourselves in these evil times, right? This isn't just for us to like kind of have a good time on earth. We're here on a mission. And if if you're alive today, Jesus has you here for a reason today, right? There's a purpose for which you are alive. And the Bible says that we are to live for Jesus because he has died for all of us. So that's how we're supposed to spend our lives. And we need this wisdom from the Lord. We need to know what the will of the Lord is. And we can only find that by by seeking him. And in terms of the length of our lives, the psalmist in Psalm 90 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And, and any time you number your days, or you're thinking like, okay, how many thousands of days do I get to live? It's never going to feel like a lot. The, the purpose of that activity isn't to be like, oh, I've got plenty of time. I'm good. Right? Like, it, it's always leaving us with this, this sensation of like, my life is short. I don't have a lot of time. Right? Elsewhere, the Bible refers to the life of man as being like a vapor. Right? Just a sp- puff of smoke that just dissipates into the wind. Right? It doesn't last long. Or it describes that our lifetime is like withering grass where it's just been cut and it looks green, right? It looks like it's alive. It looks like it's growing, but, but that stuff is going to decompose. It's going to turn brown and just disappear. So our, our lives are short and it's in knowing the brevity of life that we realize the way we spend our time is important. And that's where we gain that heart of wisdom. We realize that it's important how we invest the time that we have. Here's an analogy. I got this one isn't mine, but I've got this rope here. This is from my kayaking days. And uh, imagine this rope is infinitely long in one direction, right? Just imagine it goes forever that way, forever and ever and ever, and it doesn't, but pretend. And imagine that this rope is actually a timeline of your existence, a timeline of your life, all right? Where, Where this little piece of duct tape part, this represents the time you spend on earth. And the rest of it represents the millions and millions of years, eons and eons, all of eternity, 
that you will spend somewhere else. And oftentimes, we only focus on this because most everyone on this earth only focuses on this, right? Where, where we think we're really smart if we're like, let's see, I'm going to work hard here and invest here so that right here, I'm going to have an awesome life, right? I'm going to be able to like retire and I'm going to travel and I'm going to have a house with a swimming pool and this is going to be amazing right here. And like we're so focused on this little life that we have when in reality we're ignoring the the time upon time that we're, we're going to be living afterwards. And, and the Bible actually teaches that how we spend this life, the decisions we make in this life, will determine what we do and where we spend our time for the rest of eternity. Right? And it, it's not just about whether you go to heaven or hell, it's also about how you spend your time in heaven. Right? That we are rewarded based on our obedience to the Father. Right? So, so, we in this life, we don't know how long we have. None of us knows when the end is going to come, when we're going to finally cross that finish line. So we shouldn't just plan on this life. We want to invest this time so that we get to have the, the maximum outcome in all of eternity, right? And, and any finite number, even if, even if, say, you did get to live to a thousand years old, if that was possible, right, that still isn't a lot of time compared to the number like infinity, right? Mathematically, any finite number compared to infinity is relatively zero because infinity minus a thousand is still infinity, right? So, it's, so don't, don't waste your time, don't waste your life only living for the things that you see because the things that, are, that we see are temporary is what the Bible says where the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's see. I think I'm going to let you guys read the rest of this passage at missional communities and discuss it there. I'll make the best use of my time this morning. Let's have the worship team come on up, and, uh, and I'm going to pray real quick. I guess I'll pick up my rope. <coughs> so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious, that God, where we live unfruitful lives, that you give us more and more opportunity to get our lives straight, that God, you invest in us because you consider us worth it. That, Lord, you died for us because you want to give us life and you want to spend eternity with us. I pray, God, that you would lead each of us, that we would, we would make the best use of our time. That, God, we would spend our lives not in selfishness, not in indulgence or luxury, but, God, we would spend our time on this earth for you. Because you lived your life for us. And you died for us. And so, God, I ask that that you would just give us this sense of eternity. Teach us to number our days. Give us wisdom, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that, that this mission we're on is not something we do on our own. That God, you empower us, you strengthen us to accomplish it. And you don't give us any task that we should fail at it. But you only give us the tasks at which you've called us to succeed. And so God, I ask that you would just enlighten us, help us to, to reassess our lives from your perspective. That, God, we, we just hand our time and our days over to you. And we, we just lift our lives up to you, God, and ask that you would be at work in them for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.